Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It is Wednesday, March 7, 2018. Welcome back to the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and we got some more tickets punched to the NCAA tournament the past couple of nights via auto bids. Iona's back in. That's three straight appearances for Tim Kloos in five in the past uh, seven years. UNC Greensboro is in. First appearance for 35-year-old uh, Coach Wes Miller. Right State punched its ticket. Charleston's in for the first time since 1999. Thanks to a come from behind OT win over Northeastern. Derek Kellogg, DK, got LIU Brooklyn in in his first season as its coach. Second-year coach TJ Otzelberger got South Dakota State in the field of 68. Second time in two years, which means Mike Dom is back in the NCAA tournament. So that's awesome. And Gonzaga, late Tuesday night. Uh, secured the WCC auto bid with a 74-54 victory over BYU, not St. Mary's, BYU. So the Zags are now 30-4 and four, heading into Selection Sunday. They've won at least 30 games now in three of the past four seasons, and they've done it again this season despite losing four of their top five scores from last season's team that played for the national championship. The Zags are now seventh at Ken Palm. I've got them eighth in the top 25-1. and one. And yet Jerry Palm, and I'm not even saying this is incorrect, because Jerry Palm and I and Jerry Palm and Ken Palm are doing two dope different things. I'm simply ranking basketball teams. Jerry's trying to replicate what the selection committee uh, will probably do on Selection Sunday. He's got them as a five seed, which suggests, at least according to the metrics, they're going to be underseeded by the selection committee. They got five quadrant one wins. They beat Ohio State on a neutral, one at St. Mary's, beat Texas on a neutral, one at Washington, one at BYU. So let's start with the Zags, Norlander. 30 wins, five Q1 wins. Are you surprised Mark Few was able to lose four of his top five scores and still win this much? Not still be good, because they're always good, but 30-4 and four is 30-4. and four. I am surprised they're 30-4. and four. I did not think they'd be this level. Maybe 28-6, and six, <laughs> you know, uh, close to it, but there's a, there is a difference. I mean, when you, can, when you can get to the 30 win mark by Selection Sunday – that's big time. I mean, any program that that wins 30 games, period, NCAA tournament performance included, a coach will take that almost any season uh, versus chancing the, the alternative outcome and playing it out. You tell them you're getting 30 wins, I'm going to give you that right now. They're going to take that uh, almost every single time. And with Gonzaga, it's practically automatic. Uh, just a quick refresher on this team's losses. In a neutral Against Florida at the PK-80 in a game it very well could have won. It was a great, great game. In my opinion, one of the five best games we've seen in college basketball this season. Uh, was not competitive against Villanova at the Jimmy V in December. Lost by two against San Diego State at San Diego State. And then lost at home by three against the St. Mary's team, which obviously has a very interesting at-large resume. Um, there are no bad losses there. And a lot of good wins, a lot of dominant wins, obviously. Um, I'm going to be intrigued by their seed, uh, just as a quick aside here. Um, I'd, I'd four seed, five seed, they got to be on one of those two lines, I would think. I think that they deserve a four, personally, um, it, particularly how, how they've done against the competition they've played. I think a four would be fair. I wouldn't object to a three. I just don't think they have a shot at a three. I very much think that their quality, without a doubt, like – they line up there at some point. You got to balance out the resume with how good you think they are, and I get all that. Um, but I think if I built a bracket, I might put them as a, as a team on the three line. But yeah, with what they've been able—I mean, Killian Tilly had a tremendous, tremendous West Coast Conference run. 
I believe he only missed one three-pointer. He's shooting 50% from three on the season. He is their best three-point shooter. And by the way, Josh Perkins also shoots it well from deep. Um, Getting him back, getting Jonathan Williams back, and then Rui Hachimura, who still has a long way to go defensively. Offensively, he is extremely talented and really uh, could make the claim that he is their most talented offensive player, their most purely talented guy on offense. He can just be a liability on the other end of the floor. But with all that they lost, to do this again, we can take Gonzaga for granted, but uh, I I simply don't. Um, To be able to do this, they've made 20 straight NCAA tournaments. They've won 17 WCC tournaments in their lifetime, and uh, almost all of them, all but two of them, have come under Mark Few, who uh, continues to just keep this train rolling here. And, man, um, I don't know what they'll do in the tournament. I'm going to be fascinated to see who they play and how they play um, but I'd be hard-pressed not to put this team into the Sweet 16, given the way that I've seen how it's played as of late. Not just the what, WCC GP, but I saw their game against San Diego and BYU, both of which were on the road. They won both of those. They have not lost since January 18th. Um, I'm glad you said what you said about uh, you know people have a tendency to to take Gonzaga for granted. Like, oh, they're good again. So what? It is very, like 20 straight NCAA tournaments. I don't care what league you're from. Or how um, how many inherent advantages you have, or how many I, sh- I shouldn't say it's inherent; it's it, 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 at the minis- administrative level. How many advantages your administration has created for you relative to other people in your league? Uh, still, never slipping. I mean, they 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 are either great or good every year, without exception, for two decades. Twenty straight NCAA tournament of appearances. Um, I think it's like uh, fourteen or maybe even 15 outright WCC titles in that span. And again, it's not just that they're beating up on bad teams, although they do spend much of January and February doing that. Um, you know, the metrics really like them. They are, uh, you know, top 10 at Ken Palm right now. Um, you know, they're top 10 in the AP poll. They're top 10 in the top 25 and one. And perhaps the human rankings don't matter as much to you, but either way, um, there's some real quality to this to this basketball team. As for the seed, I would probably, I mean, if you just based it on the top 25 and one, I have them a two seed. I'd be fine with a three. I think a four is probably fair still. Um, but Palm and, and, and to be clear, we pledge our allegiance to Jerry Palm, but Palm and Lenardi both have them as a five. I just add the other name to to show you that Palm's not out there on a limb by himself. I mean, that's basically where Gonzaga is projected in. Um, it reminds me a little bit as of 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 what happened to Wichita State last year. Um, the you know Wichita State I think was top ten at Ken Palm on Selection Sunday, and then what seed did they get? Uh, Wichita State last year were they an eleven? What were they? I mean, it was I I, I want to say ten, but let me check. It won't Maybe take they were a, a second. Um, they ended up getting a ten seed. Yeah. And that was just ridiculous. And what I always said about that, and it'll be true if Gonzaga gets a five, it's not just unfair to Gonzaga. Just like last year, it wasn't just unfair to, to Wichita State. Do you know who got screwed worse than Wichita State by Wichita State being a 10? Illinois Day- State? Or, oh, Day- oh, yeah, you're talking about who they played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt, yes. Because Dayton is a higher-seeded team, had a tremendous year under under Archie Miller and what turned out to be Arch's last season there on selection Sunday, they're sitting there with 24 wins. They were, um, 
the outright A-10 champions. They get a seven seed in the NCAA tournament, and then they got to play what amounts to a top-10 team, according to, to Ken Palm. And they were an underdog in that game. And then uh, they got, if I remember correctly, they got their brains beat in. Or maybe not, but it, that, well, I'm looking at it now. The final score was 64-58. I just remember, I don't know. I don't remember that game at all. It felt like <laughs> at the brains beat in. Either way, you're dating. You should be an underdog when you're a seven seed. That's my point. And Gonzaga is going to, if they're a five seed, presumably they'd play a four seed in the round of 32. And guess what? Gonzaga is going to be favored in that game. So you're screwing the people Gonzaga has to play just as much as you're screwing Gonzaga. And it's I don't know why the committee doesn't. I know they do pay attention to this type of stuff, but I don't think they pay enough attention to this type of stuff. If you are top eight at Kimpom, you probably shouldn't be a five seed. I just like if you really just made that a rule, um, it'd probably be you'd probably end up with better seeding uh, when the bracket comes out. Yeah, the committee, you know, in talking, I've got my Q&A with Bruce Rasmussen up on the site now. You can give it a read if you want. I know I alluded to it on the previous podcast. Um, And we talked about Rasmussen discussing, like, there's something to be said for winning every single game you're supposed to win. Uh, Gonzaga almost did that. I believe it was favored at home against St. Mary, so it technically did not win every single. But but that was truly expected to be a competitive game. So every game that Gonzaga was supposed to win, like truly, it won. Um, so I, that, that's one thing that makes me think, okay, well, maybe what Rasmussen told me will wind up having, um, serious influence in the room. And if it does, maybe that bumps Gonzaga a seed line up or not, but more to what you're getting to here is I, I very much believe that the selection committee is one, um, acknowledging, uh, Sagarin, Ken Palm and BPI, which are the three, uh, predictive metrics that are on the team sheets. And I think they have grown in their, I don't want to say influence, but how much they are discussed and the amount of people on that committee that are using them to buttress their arguments for teams. Uh, What I was told last year when I met with the selection committee um, uh, that weekend morning before the bracket came out was – you know, just because there is one decision about a team on a C line doesn't mean the committee all agrees. Like, there are definitely instances where you might have three or four committee members that would have a team two C lines removed from where they ultimately are, but it is a majority rules. It is a democratic system, and they've got a whole tally system the way they do this. And so um, I think there are some committee members that, that do take these kind of things into, a, into account. And also what the committee is, is balanced with this year, and I get to a little bit – with it in my story with Rasmussen is this is a year of transition in that the NCAA hopes this is the last year that the RPI is its official sorting tool uh, for everything. And they still have protocol like in the book, in ink to abide by, and they don't want to flagrantly disregard that. And so I think they are stuck a little bit between um, an era that they know they need to get to to bring more uh, respect and, quite frankly, rationality to the process versus the task they know that they're tasked with and still sticking to a lot of the seating and selection protocol they've had over the past, you know, 
5, 10, 15, 20 years. Now, they've gotten better and they've tweaked some of that, but I think that's the problem here, and it's why you get situations like Gonzaga or Wichita State being put on a seed line when the general public, the odds makers, they're going to obviously make the committee look foolish by setting up a, a betting line that's going to reflect uh, the true nature of those teams and being that the lower-seeded team is actually the stronger team overall. Right. It, it always happens with teams – you know, from outside of the power structure. It happens to a – I mean, now, to be fair, we've also had seasons where Gonzaga was the number one seed and where Wichita State was a number one seed. But you basically have to be perfect to come from outside of the power structure and be a number one seed. If you have any – really any losses on your resume. I mean, Gonzaga's only got four, and like you pointed out, they're not bad losses. Like in a year where – and you and I, I think, agree on this. And apparently the committee chair does as well on some level. In a year where we watch Carolina lose to Wofford, like if you can lose to Wofford, you can lose to WCC teams. I mean, what is Wofford if not a typical WCC team? So in a year where we watch that happen and, and Duke lose at Boston College and um, you know Villanova lose to St. John's, Duke lose to St. John's, it should be a reminder that it's not easy to to just win all the games you're supposed to win. Even when you are clearly better than your opponent, sometimes those teams still lose. And it is excused, for the most part, at the high major level because they have so many opportunities to make up for it. Um, but at the at, at outside of the power structure, it is it is not excused, and it's also not appreciated when they don't even do it. I think with Cincinnati and Gonzaga both this season, you should appreciate the records, appreciate um, the, the, the fact that they really didn't lose games that they weren't supposed to lose. They did not slip up. I don't think, I don't think Cincinnati has a single loss to a sub-25 Ken Palm team, and Gonzaga's losses are all, uh, all reasonable. And yet, I don't know that that is going to be properly appreciated um, by, the, by the committee. Uh, well, yeah, let me just jump in real quick here, GP. Um... I, we'll see. We'll see what Cincinnati does in the American Athletic Conference, how it performs, because uh, that's, <laughs> that's going to be uh, – that'll be really interesting because I actually think Cincinnati may have a shot here. Um, and <laughs> when you compare the resumes, I, that's going to be really interesting to me. You could be right. I get the sense that Cincinnati – might be given a little more credit than Gonzaga, right or wrong overall. Um, I, I don't know what they've lost to, what, two games on the road, one neutral. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by that, just that you brought up Cincinnati, because they are similar. But group one, quadrant one right now, Cincinnati is five and four, and they don't have any losses in quad two, quad three, or quad four. They have played eight games against quad four teams. I'm, I'm intrigued by what will happen with them because when you look out there, I think that there's a legitimate case to put them on on the two line right now. And if they went out in the AC, AAC, I think they validated their standing on the two. If they don't, if they don't get there, like if Cincinnati's not on the two line and it doesn't lose again before Selection Sunday. Uh, that's something we should be talking about on that Selection Sunday podcast. And it's something that the American, maybe, and Mick Cronin and his commissioner might need to come out and, and really slam the committee for because the American overall um, has been 
seeded with some prejudice here in recent seasons, in my opinion. Uh, now, part of that's, you know, even though they don't look at conference performance and look at teams in terms of their conference, nor should they, and they don't, by the way. Listeners seem to think that's still a thing. I assure you, when you go through this process, it is basically impossible to take that into account. Um, but I don't know if it's because it's a new league, and when you look at the, who they play in the, in the conference overall, um, last year in general, remember SMU and Cincinnati last year were underseeded. So if they don't lose again, I don't think you can make an, uh, a case for Cincinnati to be anywhere but the two line. And pretending, potentially what happens elsewhere, I th- it'd be hard for them to get on a one. But I, I'd, I'd be more comfortable with them on a one than I think a three overall. So let's just keep an eye on the Bearcats um, and, and their resume and how it's treated uh, in relationship to Gonzaga and then the other teams around them. Let's move on to St. Mary's because that was the big story from Monday night, I guess. Um, They lost to BYU in the WCC semifinals. So they are going to head into Selection Sunday with a 28-5 record. Sounds great without context. and It is great on some level. But 24 of those 28 wins are against teams ranked 120th or worse in the RPI or 125th or worse at Kinpom. They've got two sub-135 RPI losses. They only have two quadrant one wins at Gonzaga and at BYU. And uh, oddly, or perhaps not oddly, but uh, worth noting, the only reason they got a quadrant, they they actually lost to BYU and added a quadrant one win because BYU moved into the top 70 of the RPI. So what's interesting there is if they would have beaten BYU, they'd still have one quadrant one win, but because they lost to BYU, they now have two. Either way, non-conference strength of schedule, if you care about such things, is 189, according to the RPI. It's 291, according to Ken Palm. And their two best non-league wins were against New Mexico and Harvard. I wouldn't have them in. I think they're going to be in, but I would not have them in the NCAA tournament. They have not done anything really except win at Gonzaga. And I would be more forgiving of that if they at least tried to schedule. And and keep in mind, I don't care about their strength of schedule. I just noted it because some people do. I don't I don't like strength of schedule, but I have eyeballs. I can look at who they played in their non-league. And when they do not even try to play somebody, given that they're going to be so much better than almost everybody else in their league outside of Gonzaga and BYU, when you get caught the way they got caught the other night, I don't feel sorry for you. I would not have St. Mary's in the tournament, would you? We are reversed on this. I would have them in right now, Wednesday morning, before we get to all the other games that are coming. And I don't think that. Oh, let, let me let me clarify real in. quick. I think they're going to be in. Like if I were having, right, to you do wouldn't a- have them in now, and you think they're going to get in no matter what. I, w- but, <laughs> but I would not put. Them I know, in. I know, I know, I know. I. Would put them in right now, and I know that by the time we get to Sunday, I would not have them in. I think they're going to be uh, the the very first team that's out or the second team after that's out. You bring up a good point that I just want to reiterate for uh, – I listen, it's March. We're getting more listeners, obviously. People are coming into the podcast. Be sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes. We appreciate that. It's also on Google Play, Stitcher, all that good stuff. Uh, we very much appreciate that. Here's the thing with non-conference strength of schedule. The number isn't good. And uh, even if you like it or hate it, that's fine. And I personally with RPI, I, I freaking hate it overall. Um, but you combine that, again, by just looking at the team sheet and then taking into why I like referencing strength of schedule to reinforce my impressions on a team's schedule when I look at it. So I look at their schedule, 
I see that these teams aren't that good. Okay, well, let me just double-check this. Oh, it's actually a brutal non-con, not even close to 150. You combine those two aspects and the knowledge that St. Mary's obviously had the capability of scheduling other programs, and I'm going to remind people, yes, again, they had the opportunity, and Rhode Island really wanted to play them, and the programs couldn't come to an agreement. I'm told it was entirely because of St. Mary's, okay? You take all that into account, this is why the selection committee should use checks and balances. And absolutely, if you do not schedule more ambitiously and you put yourself in this situation, see, St. Mary's 28-5 record is not the same as Gonzaga 30-4. There is a difference. And they said the numbers seem close. And this is why, honestly, why we have a selection committee to begin with, because you have to take these kinds of figures and hash them out and debate them out. They've got... They've obviously got a shot to get in. GP believes they're going to get in, uh, not no matter what, but his inclination is that things are just going to go the way that St. Mary squeaks in, and that would mean they would go and play in Dayton. They have played more games against quad four teams by far than anyone else. They only had three quad ones, and as you mentioned, BYU only became a quad one after St. Mary's lost. Jeez, uh, if, if that's not an indictment on this on this. RPI system and I mean, quad system I mean, that, in general. That, that, yeah, exactly right. That's the flaw in the system that St. Mary's actually – if this is weird, and I'm not sure it's 100% true, but, like, you'll get the point. Right. St. Mary's improved its resume by losing to BYU on a neutral court. Yeah. That's, well, that's and, right. and I also – I think it's important to note here that the committee members aren't stupid. They are going to note that in their discussion. I have to believe that people are going to say, hey, listen – if they had not, if they had won the BYU game, we'd be looking at a team here that would have 29 wins. But it, it, if if it were to lose against Gonzaga again, it would have been it would have had three quad one performances, but it would have been uh, one and two. It would have lost to Gonzaga anyway. So I think the the detail of that should and will come up in the room. But the point well, stands. Jesus Christ, if we can point it out on a podcast when we're just sort of talking off the top of our head, surely the freaking selection committee is aware of that. Got to figure, but it is an indictment on the system overall. Um, St. Mary's has two quad three losses, and that was at San Francisco and on a neutral against Washington State overall. I know it's just five losses, but St. Mary's has put itself in this position two times before. In 2016, let me bring up the record here. 2016, this just happened two years ago. How many losses did they have? They had five losses going into Selection Sunday, just like they have now. They were 27-5, and and I remember them being an intriguing uh, at-large case at the time. Didn't get in. And then it happened in 2009. They were 26-6, and six, and they did not get in there. So this is nothing new for Randy Bennett and that program. Um, I probably would have them – still, that's still a lot of wins. I, it's a lot of garbage, but it's still a lot of wins. I think I would have them, like my final one or two teams in right now. But by nature of Florida State-Louisville and the winner of that team probably having the leg up on one of those on, on St. Mary's and anything else we might see from bid thieves this, this week – I, I don't think in my personal bracket I would have them in, and I don't think in the committee's bracket, I think they're just going to be pushed out. I think the, they are going to be the first team that's not in the field. I would leave them out no matter what happens. I, I don't, I'm not sure that that'll be the case, but I would leave them out. And if I'm Bruce Rasmussen and I'm sitting there talking to um, Adam Zucker on Selection Sunday, which is going to be the case, Bruce is going to be in New York with Zook, um, and somebody asked me about St. Mary's and 28-5 and five and getting left out, I'd say that they play in a league that ranks outside of the top 10 in America. Um, they are very good every year, and they don't even try. And we're not going to reward a team just for beating a bunch of bad teams, even when we know 
that that team is good. And that might contradict some principle, but I don't care. Um, We know they're good, but we are not going to reward them for just beating bad teams, particularly when they have the ability to play better teams. Be more ambitious in your non-league schedule. This is a message for St. Mary's and everybody else in the country. I understand why an ACC school wouldn't be or a Big 12 school wouldn't be because your opportunities against quality teams are coming in January, February, and early March. You're never going to be sitting on Selection Sunday without opportunities to stack quality wins or Quadrant 1 wins if you play in one of those leagues. The Big Ten this season may be an, an exception, but by and large, that's always going to be true. You play in the ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, SEC, Big 12, you're going to have quality opportunities. So we don't really care so much what you do in your non-league because we know that you're going you're gonna to challenge yourself within your league. But when you play in a league like the WCC and you expect to be good every year, it's no secret that St. Mary's was supposed to be good this year. Like it's one thing when uh, a team goes, hey, look, we didn't know we were going to be this good. Otherwise, we'd have scheduled a little more aggressively, a little more ambitiously. We knew St. Mary's was going to be good. They returned almost all of the important pieces from a team that was very good last season. If you were ever going to ratchet it up, if you're Randy Bennett, this would have been the season to do it. And you turn down a, a home and home with Rhode Island? No way. I'd leave them out, and I'd make, a, I'd make an example out of them. I'm not sure the committee will do it, but it's, um, it's 100% what I would do. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Not when you use SeatGeek, which is the smartest and the easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event, including the ACC tournament, which is going on uh, at Barclays Center here in uh, New York City. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or if you just need to find the perfect gift for somebody, SeatGeek helps you secure the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. I got the SeatGeek app on my phone, so does Norlander, and it really is what we use to buy tickets when we need tickets to basketball games, football games, concerts, anything. In fact, last night had some coworkers in the studio um, at the CBS Broadcast Center talking about popping over to Brooklyn for the ACC tournament. They were debating what tickets might cost. I said, stop debating, dummies. We don't have to debate anymore. Just pull up the Seeky Cap. You'll have every answer to every question that you're asking each other right now. So that's what we did, and we started checking prices. And um, I got good news for you. If you want to go to the ACC tournament in Brooklyn, it's very affordable. Uh, I know because of SeatGeek. So you'd be foolish not use SeatGeek next time you need tickets because it saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find uh, amazing deals. And here's the best part. Listeners of the Ion College Basketball Podcast, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase just by using the promo code COLLEGEBB. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's promo code COLLEGEBB for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. So, Norlander, I reported on Tuesday night that the University of Memphis is seriously considering firing Tubby Smith after just two seasons and replacing him uh, with Memphis icon Penny Hardaway. And also in that report, I noted that Penny has spent – um, recent days, if not weeks, quote, actively preparing to be a Division I head coach, so much so that he's already started identifying possible staff members, among them Hall of Fame coach Larry Brown. So let me ask you this. Um, I grew up in the Memphis area. I live in the Memphis area. Do you? I'm a, for- 
I'm a former Memphis beat writer. Oh, I okay. Radio show in in Memphis. I graduated from the University of Memphis. I would be what you call uh, a local. Did not know that. that. Okay, cool. Program. Interesting. What I want to know from you is how is this perceived from an outsider? Is this the craziest thing ever? Firing a coach after two years to hire somebody who has no coaching experience outside of high school and the EYBL circuit? Or is it sensible given the state of Memphis basketball? And if you don't know the state of Memphis basketball, I'll be happy to break it down for you. I don't necessarily think we need that. Um, From the outsider's perspective, doing this is really intriguing, would bring a lot of interest within the city. But I think just having a name like Penny Hardaway, who, listen, I'll be honest, he was just he was just as I was getting into basketball. Like, I barely remember him playing college basketball. A lot of people listening to this podcast will remember him uh, for the Lil Penny commercial and for being with the Orlando Magic and then kind of having one of the more star-crossed NBA careers. And yes, obviously, I'm with all of the people who have made the jokes. I want Lil Penny as a third assistant on this coaching staff if indeed he gets this job. Um, he will be able to... Here's why I think it is worth a real look but not an automatic. He will obviously be able to get players. He has been connected to that city forever and has coached uh, at the prep level, at the grassroots level, I should say, uh, for a long time. And so the gravitas that he carries and the connections that he has will help the Memphis program from the standpoint of pretty much any top 200 prospect that's within a 50-mile radius of greater Memphis is going to be considering playing for the Tigers uh, and Penny will have a chance at signing him just because of who he is and the amount of um, connections he's he's built over the years. Uh, but having a, an, uh, an NBA player who is uh, an alumnus of your school does not guarantee success. There's no doubt about it. We are seeing that right now uh, in the Big East with two prominent uh, and once proud programs. Getting some serious experience on your staff is big. Larry Brown's a huge name. Uh, He's also a name that's been connected to (laughs) multiple NCAA scandals. Memphis itself is not unfamiliar with such things. Uh, And I'm not just talking about Derrick Rose. You can go and check the history of the program. Um, So something you might want to just at least consider that. But you want to get veteran guys, obviously, that have coached at the college level. Because Penny can't just step in, recruit a bunch of dudes, and think that he's going to be able to coach Memphis the NCAA tournament three out of every four years. Um, I think the move would be brought with some, uh, some optimism. Bailing on Tubby Smith, um, he's had, I think, a better year. You can put it two different ways here, and I know that you have many times before. Um, he's had a better year in terms of win-losses than a lot of people expected, than I expected. But you still look at the losses that they've accrued and the, how they've accrued them, and you look at the issues with the roster and attendance and all that stuff. And if Memphis can rally the money and thinks that it's really good, it has to for the benefits of bringing morale back to the program and getting people into the damn building. If it's like if they think that they are staring down at another season where they're not going to be remotely close to the NCAA tournament and attendance is not going to even uh, scrape 10,000 per game, then if you have the money, you seriously consider it and you try going with Penny because what you don't want to do is have this again in a third season. And then even if you can get Penny a year from now, you set the program back even another one or two years. It is an interesting situation Memphis finds itself in. Now go ahead. 
Give me your thoughts. Well, you mentioned uh, the record, 19 and 12, and you said it's it's better than you thought. And, uh, and, and I guess a lot of people did not expect Memphis to win 19 games. So by, you know, technically that's true. But just like the St. Mary's record comes, um, is, is viewed differently with context, uh, I think the Memphis record would be too. They're 19 and 12, um, but they're ranked 164th at Ken Palm. They finished fifth in the league standings, but according to Ken Palm, they're actually the eighth best team in the AAC. Um, they benefited from an unbalanced schedule and also injuries to, you know, at, 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 at advantageous times to opponents. In other words, um, they got to play East Carolina and South Florida twice each. Those are both, you know, either right around 300 or sub 300 teams. Now they lost two of those games, which is remarkable, but still the schedule was advantageous. There's three NCAA tournament teams in the American athletic conference, Cincinnati, Wichita state and Houston. So in theory, you could have played six games against them. Um, Memphis only played four. They did not have to go to Wichita and they did not have to go to Houston. So, um, that was advantageous when they played SMU at SMU, uh, uh, SMU's two best players were hurt when they played at Tulane. Shouts to Tulane. Uh, Tulane was without its starting point guard, so they um, they benefited in a lot of ways to get that 19 and 12. But it does record, but it doesn't really mean um, what it suggests on the on the surface. They're one and six against the top 80 at Ken Palm, with six additional losses to team ranked to, to teams ranked 99th or worse, including two losses to sub. Uh, 280 teams 14 of their 19 wins are against teams ranked 145th or worse and eight of those 14 wins are against teams ranked 250 or worse so they really haven't accomplished much even if the 19 wins looks good just on a on a on a piece of paper and I think the the majority of Memphis fans are, are smart enough to to recognize that if only because I've repeated what I just told you about 50,000 times on the radio over the past few months I um wrote a column for CBS Sports last April or May when Diedrich and KJ Lawson announced that they were transferring to Kansas. And, and Memphis ended up losing six of its top eight scores to transfer. And the column was, and I didn't put the headline on it. I honestly would, the headline has gotten a lot of attention. I honestly wouldn't have put the the headline on it that was put on it, but whatever, it, it held up nicely. It's basically how Tubby Smith made a gigantic mess of the Memphis program in one year. And I predicted what was going to happen, and I'm not going to pretend that I get everything right because I don't, but I got that exactly right. You know, you can't lose six of your top eight scores in a top seven league, replace them with JUCOs and sub-150 high school freshmen, and expect to be good. I told Memphis fans that um, this was about to be the worst team in – in modern history, Memphis team in modern history, and that it was about to shatter attendance marks in a bad way. Um, and, and, and that recruiting was going to also suffer because uh, demoting Keelan Lawson to hire your son, Saul Smith, and then losing Keelan Lawson because he's pissed off. So you cost you his, his two kids. Diedrich would have been the best player in the AAC this year. KJ was the reigning freshman of the year. Um, that was going to obviously be costly, but having Keelan out in the Memphis market, you know, connected to Team Penny, um, hurting you in recruiting circles was going to hinder your ability to to recruit locally, which has uh, been necessary for every Memphis coach in my lifetime outside of John Calipari. So I predicted all of this. And as we sit here today, again, ranked 164th at Ken Palm. How about this? That's 74 spots worse than Josh Pastner's worst team ever. 
at Memphis. And, and um, what is it? 91 spots, I think, worse than Josh Pastner's last team. In other words, in Josh Pastner's last season at Memphis, when the Memphis fans wanted him out so badly that the administration was willing to pay him more than a million dollars to take the Georgia Tech job, uh, that team was still significantly better than this team. Attendance, I don't know if you saw the story in the Commercial Appeal, four years ago under Josh Pastner, they averaged more than 16,000 fans per game inside FedEx Forum. Uh, this season, that, that number, and this is announced attendance, was right at 6,000. Actual attendance is probably going to end up being lower than 5,000. It is uh, like a 47, 48-year low, nearly 50-year low for the program. Um, they have a deal with the Grizzlies who operate FedEx Forum where if they put X amount of butts in seats per game, um, the Grizzlies give them an $800,000 check annually. Uh, if you put some percentage of that, you get some percentage of that. The number this year is going to be zero. So having Tubby Smith coach this team this season literally cost them 800, an $800,000 check from the Memphis Grizzlies. And given that they've got two recruits on the way, one is a zero-star recruit in most services. The other is ranked outside of the top 300. So they have a sub-300 recruit and a kid they just got a commitment from the other night who picked Memphis over Wofford, over Wofford. Same school used to recruit Derrick Rose and Tyreek Evans. They got a kid over Wofford. So there's no recruiting class on the way. And teams just do not go from the 160s at Ken Palm to NCAA tournament good very often. It's very rare. If you, unless you add an impactful uh, recruiting class um, of some form. In fact, I looked it up. Only one team that was ranked outside of the top 150 at Ken Palm last season from a top seven league is currently projected to make the NCAA tournament. You want to guess? Trivia time. You want to guess what team it is? Um, one that, team was ranked outside of the top 150 yeah. at Kempom last season, top seven league, and is currently projected to make the NCAA tournament. Projected to make it. I'm, I want to try and genuinely get this. Uh, I'm not going to look at any Kempom or anything. Let me just give me a second here. I do like, I like a little trivia spiced in on the podcast. Um, uh, out of the 150. Projected to make it. Houston was definitely better than 150 last year. Um, so it's no one in the AAC, I don't think. No. Let's take a look at the Big East. Uh, no one in the Big East. No. Give me to give you the league in the spirit of. No, 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 no. Let me just walk through this real quick here, okay? Walk, walk, walk. All right, all right. Um, Pac-12. You've got no one there that would apply, so we're three leagues down. Um, Big 12. I don't even think the Big 12 would have had a team outside of the top 50, so I'm going to knock them out. That's four leagues down. Right. Um, Big 10 would have – Nebraska's not projected to get there. Neither is Penn State, so I'm not going to qualify either of them. If I'm wrong, you can interject right now. Not wrong. Okay. Um, so I'm going to knock out the Big 10, which leaves the ACC and the SEC – I don't think the ACC would have a team that would apply, given how strong the league was. So it's got to be the SEC. Outside the top 150 last year, projected to get in. It's got to be the Tennessee Volunteers. It's not. Oh, who is it? Because here's what's funny. Memphis fans, have, or at least uh, some Memphis fans, a few weeks ago were pointing to Tennessee like, hey, Tennessee wasn't good last year, but they made a jump, and now look at them. Why can't we do the same thing? Well, Tennessee was in the top 60 at Kimpon last year. They jumped from like 60 to 15. That not one sixty to fifty. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I thought. I feel like Auburn was in the top one fifty. But you're you're in the right league. Okay. So, but it's not Auburn. Okay. So you got Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky, Florida, 
Alabama's not projected to get there. They would have been above that anyway. Um, someone's listening to the podcast. Know that I can't. I'm not scraping the team right now. Um, who else is in that league that's projected to get there? Not Mississippi State. Uh, let me spanning that Vandy. <laughs> who am I? Don't tell me. Not Ole Miss. Um, not Georgia. Not A and M. Um, not South Carolina because not projected to get there. Oh my you, God, Parrish. Who am I not getting? Uh, not Arkansas because they were in the league. Hold on. Not Arkansas because they were in the tournament last year. Um, oh my. God. Gosh, who am I not naming in the SEC right now? I think you've literally named everybody except for the school. Okay, I, I got to get this. Um, oh, come on! <laughs> Them Missouri Tigers. It's the Missouri Tigers. They were 156 at Kimpom last season, and now they are projected to go to the NCAA tournament. So you ask the question, well, how did they do that? Well, you know how they did it. They made a coaching change inside the top five recruiting class. That's how they did it. Unless you do that, you don't go from there to there. Uh, or I don't want to say you don't. It has happened. It's possible, but it's rare. And so when you consider all of these things, um, you know, that it's, oh, it, you know, that uh, season ticket sales are down, donate. You know, Memphis has a system where you have to donate money before you can buy your good season tickets. Well, people aren't buying the good season tickets anymore. So the donations are coming. Donations. Are, uh, so here's what happened, I'm told. The administration for a while had been saying, listen, what are we supposed to do? How do we pay? How, we're not a power five school with SEC network money, Big Ten network money. How are we going to pay $9.75 million to buy out Tubby Smith, which is what it would cost after just two years? But where they've, you know, where they've come to is how do we afford to keep him? Like we're losing too much money with him. It, it's probably better financially. Um, we're better off financially probably to, to move on. And the way the contract is written – is that they can pay the buyout over six years. And so it comes out to a little more than $1.5 million per year. And so my guess would be, and it's an educated guess, is that rather than pay Tubby Smith $3 million a year going forward, uh, they'll buy him out at $1.5 million a year roughly and then offer Penny Hardaway something like a million-dollar-a-year contract because Penny does not need the money. But you also don't want to insult him. Uh, so you say we're going to pay a million dollars a year. You're still only investing 2.5, 2.6 million annually into your men's basketball coach, which is going to be less with Penny than it would be if you just kept going forward with Tubby. And then, for people who don't know, Penny you know, coaches at East High School in Memphis. He runs Team Penny on the Nike EYBL circuit. He's got connections to. He's got more top 100, top 150 prospects that he's coached in the past two years than Tubby Smith has coached since he got at Memphis. If you can believe that, that's how ridiculous it is. Um, three kids on Team Penny are, cla are top 40 kids, class of 2019, including the number one prospect in America, James Wiseman. He's playing at East High School for Penny right now. And so the thought process would be he maybe can't get all of them, but he can certainly get some. And either way, he's a adored figure in the city. So you're exactly right that this hasn't been foolproof. You know, there are examples of, of schools hiring their favorite alums and trying to turn them into basketball coaches, and it does not work. You know, Clyde Drexler is a famous example. There are examples when it does work. Fred Hoiberg's a great example. But right now, Memphis needs um, a, a jolt of energy, of enthusiasm. Really, the fans just need something to believe in. And I say this with all due respect to Tubby Smith, who has had an amazing career. Um, he, he provides literally nothing. For them to believe in 
Um, every in every way you measure things, the Memphis program is worse today than it was the day he took over. Attendance, donations, season ticket sales, recruiting, on-court product, every single way. There's nothing that the uh, program is better off at right right now than it was the day he took over. And I know some people have joked and said APR, APR, but it's actually not because he lost those transfers. Like there's nothing. There's nothing that's that's gotten better. In fact, everything's gotten worse. And Penny doesn't fix all of that immediately um, because who knows if he can do the job, actually do the job. You know, we we'll, we don't know. But he fixes some of that immediately. Season ticket sales immediately go up. Um, recruiting immediately goes up. The roster changes overnight. And then you hope with a, an experienced staff around him, he's able to actually do the job. That's the hope from the Memphis administration, at least. So to bottom line it, um, I'd be surprised at this point if within 48 hours of Memphis losing in the AAC tournament, they don't reach a um, the, the, the formally reached the decision to, to fire Tubby Smith after just two years. And then at some point next week, uh, you know, introduce Penny Hardaway as the next head coach of the Memphis Tigers. Would you predict success or short-term jolt, long-term disaster? I would go in between that, GP. Um, I, I can't say that it would be a success for sure, but I don't think it would be a disaster. And I think Penny would get at least five years. And so Memphis would be, um, an interesting watch over the course of five years. But we'll wait and see if it happens. Obviously, if it does, it'll be one of the more notable changes on the coaching carousel. Uh, let's uh, move on uh, because you are uh, headed to Brooklyn soon. You will be at the ACC tournament, at least for, for parts of this week. And there's two games tonight that have big bubble implications. Obviously, there's one early with Louisville involved, but I'm afraid like that game might be over by the time people are listening to this. So whatever. But you get Notre Dame, Virginia Tech tonight and Syracuse, North Carolina tonight. I think it's pretty clear that a loss ends it for both of them. You know, Notre Dame loses, they're going to the NIT. Syracuse loses, going to the NIT. But Notre Dame is interesting because they are healthy now. Matt Farrell's playing. Bonzi Colson is playing. And while some have, and I've heard this on television a lot, people say Bonzi Colson's back. The committee has to take that into account, which is obviously true. But keep in mind, and this is the ultimate problem for Notre Dame, I think, with the committee, they lost to Ball State with Bonzi Colson. They lost to Indiana with Bonzi Colson. So the idea that they wouldn't have lost some of these ACC games if they'd have just been healthy isn't true, or you can't necessarily accept it as a fact because they took some bad losses with Bonzi Colson, but they've got an opportunity here uh, to win their way into the tournament. They would need to beat Virginia Tech, and then I think probably – and, and you and I know the, the finish line moves on this stuff in terms of putting yourself in a, in a position to earn an at-large bid. But I'm not sure beating Virginia Tech and losing to Duke gets you there. I think you might need to beat Virginia Tech, beat Duke, and then you're there. What do you think? Um, beating Duke is a lock, obviously. Yep. Um, beating Virginia Tech, losing to Duke by 10, then we're going to have a lot to discuss. Um, Got to keep in mind those losses with Colson, particularly, yes, at the buzzer, a loss nonetheless. You lose to Ball State at home. You shouldn't even be in that situation to begin with where you could lose the game on a final possession to a team like Ball State, which was solid for what it was, but come on now. Um, I, I think the tournament would be better if Notre Dame was in, and I think Notre Dame would obviously have a solid shot at winning two games and getting to the second weekend if it got in or three games if you want to say it just barely gets in and they shoot it out to Dayton um and credit to Bray who takes all this stuff in so much stride I mean he is uh 
He is just like, I'll go to Dayton. Send, send us anywhere. We'll go anywhere. He's got a great way of, uh, of approaching this stuff and getting his team loose. Um, the Virginia Tech game is, you know, I was thinking about going in. This actually turns into a – it's kind of a fun day for people that are stuck in the Northeast like you and I. Like, it's a snow day, and we got day basketball, and it's going to start with Louisville, Florida State, and we got all this interesting stuff. That's kind of a cool thing just to get, to, you know, to get a snow day, get some daytime hoops, some big conference stuff. This is why I freaking love, love, love March. Then when we get to the night, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, as you mentioned, 7 o'clock, and then Syracuse, North Carolina at 9.30 approximately. Um, if Syracuse wins that, we can address that on our Friday podcast. We'll actually both be in the city. Um, I, we might be able to do that in person, by the way. We're going to be in the same damn hotel, GP. So <laughs> do you think maybe we could do a podcast in person? Maybe I don't know. Uh, we're I'm... not going to do this weird thing where we're like one floor apart and not and just doing this. Till I can bring in microphones. We'll talk about it offline. But I'm hey. I'm going to shoot for an in pod, uh, in-person podcast. Anyway. Maybe maybe the 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 rooms are kind of small at our hotel. I don't know. We'll if we just want. we'll <laughs> we'll just sit on a bed together and it'll be fine. <laughs> anyway, hey, uh, we'll, we'll 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 lay down. Yes, down and we'll discuss um the Mountain West Conference. Absolutely, or, absolutely. So, okay, like, real quick predictions. You okay. got Notre Dame beating Virginia Tech? I do not. I have Virginia Tech winning against Notre Dame. Um, Winning by about six or seven, uh, and that's not what I personally. I just I want more intrigue. I, I want as many teams to discuss going into Selection Sunday as possible. Um, so it's in the better interest of the podcast for Notre Dame to win. But I'm going to take Virginia Tech to win, and I'm going to take North Carolina to win uh, fairly convincingly. So give me the higher seeded teams in both of these. Uh, but it is a solid day for for the A10 or the A10, the ACC overall. I'm going to take Notre Dame for the reasons you referenced. Like, it's more interesting if Notre Dame wins that game. Virginia Tech's in no matter what. Notre Dame presents um, an interesting uh, conversation piece. So, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it's a toss-up game. But I'll go with the Irish, if only because that makes the ACC tournament uh, more interesting. And we get to see Bonzi Colson on Thursday working the middle of that, that Duke zone. And then, yeah, I, I, don't, I just don't think Syracuse is very good. I mean, uh, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a great program, but this team is – um, you know, when you're when you're sitting here with as little on your resume uh, on March 7th as they have and you play in the ACC, that means you're that means you're not very good. You know, like they've had plenty of opportunities and, and haven't really capitalized. And so I don't know that there's much reason to think that they'll be able to capitalize here, except for maybe. And I really don't have the numbers to back this up, but the perception is 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 absolutely that Roy isn't great. In conference tournaments, I wonder if that's actually true. I've never looked it up, but that's what people say all the time. So maybe you can catch Roy not caring about uh, a conference tournament, and then you know, you, you know, Syracuse in New York. Um, that's obviously led to some magnificent things uh, over the years. But I, I think North Carolina wins and sends Syracuse to the NIT, which means Syracuse will not play in the NCAA tournament for the third time in a four-year span. Doesn't necessarily mean they missed it three times in four years because one year they weren't eligible. But they will not play in the NCAA tournament uh, for the third time in, in a four-year span if they lose to North Carolina. I'll take I'll take Notre Dame and North Carolina. And then you ready? We got a Patriot League championship game tonight. Bucknell, Colgate. Who hold, you got? Hold on. All right, we're gonna save that for last. I got to do two things real quick. What? Two things real quick here. Okay. Two, all right, we'll get out of here. One. If Oklahoma doesn't beat Oklahoma State, this might be our last chance to do Trey Young over under. Oh, God. I'm just saying. I'll play. 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 Let's play. That's a, that's a 7 o'clock tip. 
And if Oklahoma does not win that game, plenty of people think that they're safe no matter what. I think they're in no matter what. Let's just, for the purposes of this, let's let's do this. So Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Trey Young. Let me just run down his recent performances real quick here. You know, we had to do this one more time. All right, so Trey Young, as of late, has put up 28, 18, and 15 points. He had 11 points actually before that, so those past four games. Assist-wise, he's gone from 9 to 7 to 5 to 6. And then turnovers, he's had 5, 5, 8, and 2. So with that in mind, I am going to say over-under points at 25 and a half. Over. Okay. I'll say under. It would be freaking amazing, by the way, if Oklahoma. Like, you don't, that's because you don't believe. Like I dude, believe. If Oklahoma like rolls to the Big Twelve title game and Trey Young averages like thirty three and twelve, it'll be amazing. Um, but all right, you're gonna say over. I'm gonna say under in points. Assists. I'm gonna say eight and a half. Over. I'm gonna say under. Turnovers. I'm gonna say six and a half. Under. I also say under. Okay. I'm predicting a Trey. I'm predicting. I'm not predicting it. I'm hoping for it. I want Oklahoma to, like, be, the Big 12 tournament, the only thing that make not the only thing, but the the best way to make that interesting is for Trey Young to get going. Yeah. We'll see if it can happen. If Oklahoma State wins, oh, by the way, we'll address that, their prospects, because they might wind up having a, a very interesting case overall as well. And then just to put it on people's radars here, um, uh, who was Texas? Just don't lose to Iowa State. I think Texas is going to be in, but don't lose that game. Uh, and then Arizona State plays Colorado. Uh, that's a three o'clock Eastern tip in the Pac-12. If Arizona State loses that game, I don't think it's going to get into the tournament. So don't drop the game against the Buffalo, uh, the Buffaloes there. That's that's a, a tricky spot. Uh, I was talking to Bill Raftery uh, yesterday, and he was like, if they get in. Uh, he loves their guards. He's like, Remy Martin is way underrated, but they've dropped four or five. They've got the offense to do it. Freaky, bizarre resume. Maybe the Kansas and Xavier wins win the day. Maybe. But if they lose again, they're going to have a lot of bad losses there. Um, just keep an eye on that game. I wanted to point that out here in advance of that. And then, obviously, we don't know the matchups for Thursday, so we can't preview them. But, obviously, Thursday is Always awesome. Uh, it's a great, great tournament day. I'll be in the city at the ACC and Big East tournaments. Now we wrap up with the Patriot League final, which will be on CBS Sports Network, by the way. And you got Bucknell, who's been just, you know, the class of the league uh, more, you know, more often than not going against Colgate. It's been a damn long time. Hold on, GP. Let me check. First of all, can you name, without cheating, can yep. you tell me Colgate's nickname? Colgate's nickname, yeah, the Colgate Crest. Okay, those are competing brands. Those are competing toothpaste brands. I'm sorry, I got confused. I don't, I don't know what Colgate is. What is Colgate? They are the Raiders. All right, Colgate. Let's go. Let's. They were the Colgate Crest though, or the Colgate Aquafresh. How good would that be? I love the name Colgate. I don't know. It's just it's random as hell. Um. All right. When do you think the last time Colgate has made the NCAA tournament? Yep. So, a little trivia okay. for the listeners at home. Give them a couple seconds to guess. The last time Colgate made the NCAA tournament, what would be your guess? Oh, probably 1747. Oh, come on. Can you give me an actual guess here? Don't have any idea. Just guess. <laughs> you act a... like you're talking. You act like you're suddenly doing a podcast with John Rostein. He knows all this stuff. Dude. I don't know this Does guy. Does John Rostein have a Colgate tweet locked and loaded, by the way? 
Dude, Rostein knows all of this stuff. If you asked, if you if you said, Rostein, when's the last time Colgate went to the NCAA tournament? He would tell you the year, who they played, and who was the X factor off the bench. Yeah, but I need like I need his like Chris Mack, Stone Cold, Huggins, tougher than a weekend at your in laws or whatever. Like I need his Colgate tweet locked and loaded. I need I, that I, if they win. I, I don't know. I'll get him on one tonight. I think we, no, we're not in studio tonight. We've been in studio together the past two nights. We'll be in studio together tomorrow. Ah. Uh. But he won't be with me tonight. I need that Rostin Colgate tweet. Okay, just give me a damn year. No one cares if you're going to be off by 40 years or two years. Just okay, when, uh, 1998. Uh, oh, man, you are really close. Colgate has only made the NCAA tournament twice, and that came in 1995 and 1996. Oh! So, yeah. So you, you, you're, not, you're not that far off, man. Now, Bucknell, on the other hand, has been really, Ray really Bucknell! Ray Bucknell. I think I covered an NCAA tournament game one time, and Bucknell was there. That's all I remember about it is they were just going, Ray Bucknell. Ray Bucknell. Is that a thing? I have no idea. Um, all right, so Bucknell has made the tournament seven times in its uh, history, most recently last year, but they've gone three times since 2011 and uh, famously uh, beat Kansas uh, back in the mid-aughts. But the Bucknell Bison, not a fooling. This is an interesting game, GP. It's what everyone that's been listening to this podcast has been waiting for. Give me your Patriot League preview. Oh, it's Bucknell. They've won 17 of their past 18 games. And and they've beaten uh, Colgate, the Colgate Crest. They beat them twice already this season. You think Nathan Davis is just going to mess around and lose a Patriot League title game? No way. Are you out of your mind? Take Bucknell. They're favored. You can't take a straight. I just, I just wanted to do it. I'm sorry. I just wanted to do it anyway. We're both oh. take we're both taking Bucknell. We're we're on the same page here. And okay, Fresh can't go can't go beat Bucknell in a Patriot League title game. Are you out of your mind? Have you lost your mind? We got. By the way, we got to get out of here. I just I I can say this because the podcast will literally not be up before this happens. Uh, Trey Young has won the Wayman Tisdale Freshman of the Year award, and I actually have to publish this like immediately. So let's get out of here because this is going to be announced like in twenty minutes here. So let's get out of here. We both think Bucknell's going to win. We'll talk to you on Friday. I'm going to try and do this from a bed with Parrish in person, but you'll have to wait yeah. and listen to find out if we make that happen. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. MF and Teagle. He's the legend. Ray Bucknell. Ray Bucknell. Ray Bucknell. Go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rate it favorably. Five stars with nice comments. And we will talk to you again on Friday. Till then, take care. <laughs>